Okay, let's take our Bibles out. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. It says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you could picture sitting down with your family around the table and going around the circle and asking, what are you thankful for? And each person saying different things. As I was studying this passage this week and thinking about the Apostle Paul, that kind of picture came to my mind. And I thought, what if the Apostle Paul was one of the people that was at the table and when it came his time, Paul, what are you, what are you thankful for? And the Apostle Paul says, the church at Corinth. <laughs> and I thought... You know, it just doesn't ring a bell. That's just not what I would picture. Now, this is a common greeting for Paul. It's a common greeting for him to tell the people, the churches that he writes to, that he is thankful for them, that he's praying to God for them. And when he prays to God for them, he is exercising that thanksgiving. But you know what? When you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you've got members of your church suing one another. And you got members of your church that are involved in, in immorality. And you got members of your church that are gifted with spiritual gifts, but they're using it in very carnal and immature ways. And, and so they had spiritual gifts, but not spiritual maturity that we talked about last week. And even the Lord's Supper, they didn't get right. And that's pretty simple. We're going to be celebrating it here in a little bit, and it's not difficult. They couldn't get anything right, it seems. But the Apostle Paul, how does he start out his letter to him? I'm thankful for you. And I don't think he's being insincere, and I don't believe he's being hypocritical. Quite the contrary. Well, what exactly is he thankful for? Because he's in a tough spot. It's not fun to have to approach people to correct them. It's not fun when somebody's involved in a sin and they're a friend of yours or part of our church or whatever, and you recognize that there is a need for somebody to come alongside that person and try to steer them back toward the right path. That's stressful. You borrow trouble from the situation and you say, well, what if this happens? And you think, what if that happens? What if they respond this way? What if they respond that way? And it's a nerve-wracking time. It's a stressful time. Well, that's the time the Apostle Paul has been in with the church at Corinth because he's got all these reports about things that are going on there and they're not good. And then he's also got a list of questions from them. That's encouraging because even if they have some wrong ideas, if they're asking questions, at least they're wanting to know the right way. So that's encouraging. But he would have been in this time where... They would have been a source of frustration for him, a source of stress for him, as he mentions at other time that their church was for him. And so to think thankfulness on his part, it's not the first conclusion I would come to. But the Apostle Paul insists, he says that he is thankful for them. But what exactly is he thankful for? What he's thankful for is grace. He's thankful for the grace of God. And that's what this entire passage is about. When you look at what he's thankful for, he's thankful for God's faithfulness. In fact, that's what he ends with. In verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called. And if you look through the rest of the passage, all the things that he's thankful for are things that God is doing. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, so that in every way you were enriched. And then he says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, so that you're not lacking in any gift. And in verse 8 he says, The Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless to the day of Christ. And then the very last thing is he talks about is because of God's faithfulness, this fellowship 
that we have through His Son, Jesus Christ, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says, I am, every time I pray for you, I give thanks for you because of God's grace that was at work within their life. Now what he's hoping is that God's grace will become more and more evident in their life, but he has seen it. He has seen it. He's seen the confirmation of it. He's seen the beginning of it as they embraced the testimony of Jesus Christ, as they first turned to Him and began to exercise their spiritual gifts. And so the Apostle Paul says, look, I've seen faith at work in your life, which is a testimony of God's grace, so I'm thankful for that grace. And now he's wanting to, through the rest of the letter, to encourage them to live out that grace that God has poured and continuing to pour into their lives. I struggled a little bit with how to label this. I started with where the passage ends. And and for a while this week, I had that kind of at the top of my page, which was just simply God is faithful. And that is a dominant theme. You see, when he's celebrating grace, he's not really celebrating the faithfulness of the Corinthian people. He's celebrating the faithfulness of God to the Corinthian people. Now, that's going to eventually manifest itself in their faithfulness to him as well. But he's celebrating God's faithfulness to them. But God's faithfulness happens through an avenue that we call grace. And the rest of the whole passage seems to be about grace. I know one of the commentators that I read was John MacArthur. And she said, in the past, we got God's grace. In the present, we have God's giftedness that he gifts us with these things. And then in the future, we have God's guarantee, his promise of his return. And I thought it was a great outline, except for this one thing. Grace really can't just be one of the three. It really permeates all three of them. All of them, the giftedness is because of grace. In fact, it's another form of the same word. We'll get to that in a minute. And then God's guarantee is God's future grace that we get to be involved in as well. And as you read through the passage and watch the structure of the language, it's clear that all of these things are based upon the grace of God. Now, he had already mentioned grace in verse 3. He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 4, of course, that's what he goes on to thank God for. And then he begins to break it down. For us. And that's what we're going to look at this morning is we're just going to recognize this completely amazing grace. And that's why the Apostle Paul, he begins the letter to the Corinthians with God's grace. He ends the letter to the Corinthians with God's grace. The second to last verse in the, in the book says, The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. And so he begins by wishing grace upon them. He ends by wishing grace upon them. And in between, he's wanting to see the grace of God active in their life as they overcome these things well what is the grace of god grace is something that god just it just means that he just gives it to you it's something that you can't earn you can't achieve it and you know what you can't pay him back for it either it's something that should obliterate all guilt the feelings of guilt that we have over past sins because god's grace has freely forgiven us of all things romans chapter 8 verse 1 starts out there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So God's grace is that benevolence of God that comes into our life, delivers us from our sins, rescues us from the power of sin in our life as we strive to walk with Him, and completes that salvation in the future by perfecting us as we get to finally become in His presence and enter that glorified state. As we consider that amazing grace, the first thing that we see that grace does in our life is that grace in Christ saves You know, some of the more familiar passages that we often point to for this, I think of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved. 
And that's what this passage is talking about as it, be, as it begins. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. He's, he's looking back to the time that they were saved. In fact, we know that because he talks about their testimony being confirmed. It's a little bit difficult to know exactly what he's referring to there. Testimony could mean the testimony that they share. In other words, that they share the gospel with other people or they speak the truth of the gospel because now they've believed in it. Or it can also mean that their life, when they put their faith in Christ, they committed to Him and that their life is a testimony of their belief. That in the earlier days of their faith, the Apostle Paul saw things in their life that testified to the truth of their faith. That they really genuinely put their faith in Christ. I kind of lean toward that one. Possibly even both, because their words and their actions would have uh, both been together in those things. But what he saw within them in their early walk of faith confirmed to him that they had put their faith in Christ and they themselves testified to their faith in Christ. And the Apostle Paul saw it as genuine, though they were struggling in it. This salvation he also mentions down kind of toward the end where it talks about the fellowship. Because that salvation is what gives us that fellowship with God, that relationship with God. You know, before that, we don't have that. And so the first thing that we see that grace in Christ accomplishes is that grace in Christ accomplishes salvation. The Apostle Paul looks at these people and he recognizes that the only way that these people were able to experience the salvation they experienced is because they completely trusted on the grace of God. But their experience of grace went on from there, just as ours does. And the second experience of that grace is that it enables. You see, God's grace comes into our life and saves us from our sin, and then it enables us, it it empowers us, it equips us to be able to live out the life of faith that He wants us to live out. Because notice what He says in verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in Him. Now, how, how were they enriched in Him? They were enriched in Him in all speech, and all knowledge. And then uh, down a little bit farther, he talks about them being gifted. Later on in the book, he's going to get into specific gifts that individuals exercise. I don't think he's really talking about that yet. He could be referring to them, but I don't, I don't think so. The reason is because he starts off by mentioning things like speech and knowledge. And he's talking about these Corinthians, all of them experiencing this. Whereas when you get to the particular gifts later on, then uh, he tells them that all of you won't have the same gifts. I think that he's dealing with uh, more of a generic idea of giftedness. It's that ability to understand. It's that ability to see things clearly. He talks about their speech, about their knowledge. They're growing in that knowledge. And, you know, there's something that we gain when we first put our faith in Christ that gives us a real boost there. Now, both of these things, both of these kind of things come at God's grace. Whether you're talking about having a certain spiritual gift or whether you're talking about the gift of God just in our ability to speak and to, to learn things and to understand, all of that comes uh, through this avenue of God's grace. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he mentions the word grace a couple more times within 1 Corinthians, it usually is referring to that kind of giftedness. The Apostle Paul in verse 10 of chapter 3, he said, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. One of the ways that he sees God's grace flowing through his own life is through the abilities that God gave him to carry out the tasks that God wanted him to carry out. He kind of reemphasizes that in chapter 15 of Corinthians, also in verse 10. And he says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. 
And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, talking about the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Now, I don't think he's being arrogant here. I just think he's being honest in recognizing that God used him to accomplish a lot of things. But the Apostle Paul says, look, it's not me. He says, the grace of God that was working through me. God had a certain purpose that he had for my life, and he gives me the ability, he enables me to do that. Well, you're not less than that. God may not have called you to be an apostle like the Apostle Paul was. But God still has a purpose and a function for your life and things that He wants to accomplish in your life. And you know who's able to do that? You are enabled to do that. Everything that God wants to be accomplished in your life, you are able to accomplish those things as you learn to depend on Jesus Christ and walk in the Spirit. That's what He's telling these Corinthians. He's saying, look, I have seen the grace of God in your life. I'm thankful for the grace of God in your life because God has gifted you. He has enabled you. He's given you an ability to speak and an ability to learn. You know, I remember when I, uh, when I came to Christ, right? For a year and a half before I came to Christ, I was in church faithfully, regularly. I was trying to learn. And I learned some things. Not very much, I would confess. But I learned some things. But I was involved in church. I was going to all the services that that church offered. Sunday morning, Sunday school, worship. Uh, Wednesday night, going to Bible study. They had church services Sunday evening too. I went to those also. Uh, pretty much for a year and a half, almost uh, all those services I was at pretty regularly. But you know what? I'd been kind of trusting in myself. I'd always figured that I was going to heaven because I believed that God existed, which is part of faith, but not all of it. And I was a pretty good guy. I thought it was okay. wasn't really acknowledging my sin. June 2nd, 1985, I realized the truth and I bowed before God and asked Him to come into my life and to be my Savior. I've often said... I learned more in the next month than I did in the whole year and a half before. Why is that? Well, I think part of it is because once you understand what Christ did for you, all the puzzle pieces start to come together. The big picture starts to make sense. Before that, it's kind of like trying to make a picture by connecting the dots, but you're not far enough to be able to see the whole picture yet. At the moment of faith, all of a sudden you see that whole picture. Uh, Also, primarily the reason for it is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in to indwell you. And when He comes in to indwell you, you receive a huge gift. The ability to understand and perceive these spiritual things. And you know what? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to eventually talk to these Corinthians about in chapter 2. Verses 12 and 13, he says, We have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why did I not, for a year and a half, trying to learn, listening to sermons, going to church, why did I not learn much? I was just natural. I was just my natural man. I was in my sinful self. I didn't have the Holy Spirit of God within me to help me understand those spiritual thoughts and concepts and ideas and words. The moment I accepted Christ, all of a sudden I could. All of a sudden, it just started to make sense and I was excited about it. Boy, then then was I learning. Then I learned a lot, and I learned fast, and I just loved it. I just soaked it up like a sponge. Well, that's, I think, the giftedness that he's talking about with the speech and the knowledge in the verses that we're looking at here. He goes on to say, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's that gift. That mind of Christ. Now, in the passage that we're dealing with, notice that in these things, he refers to them as gifts. He talks about them being enriched in these things. It's through this enrichment, through this gifting, that it enables them to live the life that God wants them to live. 
The Corinthians weren't doing it. But the Apostle Paul said, I've seen that giftedness within you. I know it's there. I've seen the grace of God in your life through His enablement for you to do this. You can do it, but it's time to do it. And so he's going to correct them on just how to go about that. Not only does God's grace in Christ save us, but His grace in Christ also enables and it gives us the ability to live out the life that He wants us to. And then also the grace in Christ focuses. It provides focus because He takes something for granted that He's able to take for granted. Right In, in verse 7 it says, "...so that you are not lacking in any gift." And that word gift, by the way, is uh, part of the same root word as the word grace. The word gift is, is the word charisma, the Greek word charisma. The word grace is charis, the first part of the word charisma. When he talks about giving them gifts, which is the enablement that we were just talking about, it is, uh, again, a source of God's grace. Well, he focuses, because in verse 7, it says, "...so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ." He takes for granted that every believer is going to have the same focus. He doesn't say, as, you, as some of you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, as most of you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, as you wait. He's addressing the entire church. He says, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, it's talking about at the moment that Christ returns. We're looking for Him to return, to come back. He promised them, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come back. And we've been waiting for that return ever since. For 2,000 years nearly, we've been waiting for the return of Christ. And we're still waiting. And you know what? We're still focused. Because that's what we're looking forward to. That's our glory days. You know, there really is no point in our life where we can look back and say that was our glory days. For the Christian, the golden years are always yet to come. They're looking forward to that time when Christ comes. This world is not our home. We're content with the life that we have here, but this is not the life that we're contented in. We're looking forward to the return of Christ. As great as as things can be in our life here, they're a fraction of as good as they will be when Christ comes. That's always what we're looking forward to. And you ever notice that? That that is just the way it is with Christians. Christians, we're always always eager to talk about the subject of the return of Christ. We're always looking forward to the return of Christ. That's one thing that is is a consistent characteristic of people that believe in Jesus Christ. He said the grace of God focuses. It focuses off of the things of this world and onto the things of Christ. You know, I was thinking as many things as are going on in our country and in our world that we look at today and say, oh my... That is not a good direction. And as many times as we get frustrated with some of the things that are promoted in our society that are hurtful and damaging to other people and and, uh, that kind of stuff and that diminish the glory of God, that bring darkness into our community rather than light, as many times as we get frustrated with those things, you know what, I was just reminded through studying this passage this week that, you know what, God's in control. And you know what, my hope is not in my country. As much as I have hopes for my country, my hope is not in my country. My hope is not, is not in my community. My hope is not in anything in this world. My hope is in Jesus Christ, and I look forward to Him returning. Now, does that mean I don't care about my community or my country or any of these things? Absolutely not. I care deeply. In fact, I think I care more because of that relationship. But you know what? No matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we can take hope because our hope is not in the things of this world. It's in Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul is writing to them. He says, look, I can see the grace of God. I've seen the grace of God in your life. I've seen it in your salvation. I've seen it in your gifts, your giftedness, your enablement, that the way He enables you to be of service to other people. And I see it in your focus because you're all waiting for the return of Christ. And that's where we need to keep our eyes affixed. Well, then also, the grace of God in Christ sustains us. It ends, verse 7, 
with uh, the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who it's, we're talking about when, who it's talking about when it says, who will sustain you to the end. Remember, not too long ago, we were talking about our salvation. And we're talking about how there's a past, a present, and a future experience to our salvation. And this, this passage breaks down right along those lines. There's a past element of our salvation where we're delivered from the penalty of our sins upon us. There's a future element where we're delivered from the very presence of sin in our present right now, our present tense. We, we are to be being delivered from the power of sin in our life. And that's what he's talking about right here. He's talking about what Christ will sustain you. He's enabling you to be of service. He will sustain you in personal holiness. He will sustain you in your ability to fight off temptations. He will sustain you in your relationship with Him. He will hold you close. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And so to the Thessalonians, he was writing to them and he's saying, look, God's sanctification is going to grow in you. It's going to complete in you. And it won't be complete until the day of Christ when he comes back for us. But our salvation is going to be complete. He doesn't leave us partially saved. He saved us the moment we put our faith in Christ. He is saving us from the power of our sin and life as we grow more and more in Him. And He's going to save us ultimately when He comes back. But salvation is all of those parts. We experience all those things. Well, that's what He's dealing with with the Corinthians here. He's saying, look, I, I saw Him bring you into His fellowship. I saw the Spirit work in you when you put your faith in Christ and you confirmed that testimony of the Gospel within you. He's saying, but now... Christ is going to sustain you. He's going to continue to sanctify you in that. In fact, that's what he said back in verses 2 and 3. Remember how he started off the book? He called them saints. Said they were sanctified in Christ. And now he's saying the same thing. Now you're going to continue to be sanctified. Christ is going to hold you close. Now, when you look through it, you say, first of all, well, how can He be sanctifying them when they're living in sin? How can He be sanctifying them when they're fighting with one another? How can He be sanctifying them? But you also got to take into account this, this epistle because they struggle with sin and then you have this epistle that's sent by the Apostle Paul. And what does it do? It corrects them. This epistle was brought to them by the grace of God. Sent to them by the grace of God to correct them in their sin. And what happens when they get corrected in their sin? They get sanctified. They grow in their relationship with Christ. They grow closer to Him. And so, when we look at our lives and we say, well, there's a person here that's a believer, but it seems like he's headed down the wrong path at the moment. Well, that's when we're supposed to come in alongside him and show him scripturally why he's headed the wrong path and he needs to turn. Because that is part of the sanctifying process. God's setting us apart, little by little. Christ sustaining us in our relationship with Him. And so, Christ does that. Not only did He save us, but He's keeping us. He's making us secure in our faith, in our relationship with Him, in our salvation. You cannot lose something that you did not earn. It's all of grace. In fact, notice, it is based on faithfulness. It is resting upon the faithfulness of God. Because that's where He brings us right at the end. He says, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The last part that grace impact that is listed for us within this passage is that the grace in Christ perfects us. Notice what he says in verse 7 or verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless 
in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless. Don't you love how the Apostle Paul started this letter? Remember who it's to. It's written to a people that are blowing it on many different levels. They are failing in their walk with Christ on a lot of different levels. But Paul starts out his letter and says, you know what? You were saved by grace. You're enabled by grace. You can do this. God has given you everything you need by His grace. You're focused because of His grace. You're focused on the return of Christ. You're sustained. He's going to hold you. He's going to continue to sanctify you. You're secure in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the end, you'll be perfected. It's a process all the way through it. And it's all because of God's grace. You know, in the book of Romans, we see it pretty clearly. Romans chapter 8 and in verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He spent the first three chapters pointing out the sinfulness of mankind, all of us. And the next several chapters pointing out how we can have the grace of God in our life, and it's through faith in Jesus Christ. And then because of that grace, what is the conclusion? There is therefore now no condemnation. You are not condemned. That's why he's able to write to a church that is going through the struggles that the Corinthian church was going through, and he's able to talk. He's able to talk about this spotlessness, <laughs> this purity that they didn't seem to be manifesting at the present time. Guiltless. I like that word. Now, when we look at the Corinthians at the moment, were they living in a way that was guiltless? No. But the Apostle Paul applies it to them. He tells them that their position in Christ is guiltless. But what he's encouraging them to do now is to make their practice in Christ match it. If you've been delivered from it, be delivered from it. Come out of it. I love that process. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Now, that's quite a statement. For those of us who love God, everything will work out to our good. God will work all those things together for our good. He says, we know this. But now here's the question. Why do we, how do we know this? How do we know that that's the case? That's the rest of the passage. He says, for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, those things happened before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us, to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. It's like there's a long train. We get on the train at God choosing us. Or He has chosen us. And then He predestines us. And then He calls us. That's the moment of our salvation where He calls us to Himself effectively in our hearts. And justification also happens at that moment. And then justification, that's when He completely forgives us of all of our sin. We're separated from it as far as the east is from the west. And then He glorifies us. And notice it says everybody whom He chose, He predestined. And everybody whom He predestines, He calls. And everybody whom He calls, He justifies. And everybody whom He justifies, He glorifies. You see, if you're on the train at the beginning, which actually was God's choice, not yours, you're on the train at the end. And where does it end? Free from the very presence of sin. You cannot be more sustained than that. You cannot be more secure than that. Well, I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have to put my faith in Christ. I'm thankful that my salvation is based more on God's faithfulness than my own. 
And that's what he's dealing with here in Corinthians. That's what he's dealing with in our life. The grace of God comes flowing into our life through Jesus Christ. It saves us. It enables us to be useful for the things that God wants us to accomplish. It focuses on the return of Christ as we relate to Him. It sustains us along the ways and builds us up. And it perfects us. Eventually we'll be before Christ in that blameless state. Our, our walk will finally match our talk. Our position and our practice will finally be one. And we will experience that perfectedness in Christ as we enter that glorified state. You know what? The letter to Corinthians gives me great hope. Because at the times when I feel like a failure in my walk with Christ, at the times where I feel, well, I don't feel that blamelessness. When I feel that guilt, instead, this is a great reminder. That you know what? My blamelessness was never based on my actual blamelessness. It's based on Christ's blamelessness. And the things that I'm able to accomplish and not accomplish in my life, they're because of God's enablement that He gives me. I need to stay focused as He sustains and perfects me and I get to look forward to that perfection.